to the One More Verse podcast. Hey everybody, it's John Nix and I'm excited to have you along today, which is Friday, February 5th, 2016. Today's reading was Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. So come on, let's talk about it. It's been about a hundred years since Jonah preached in Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. This incredible revival that we just read about where the people repented, the king repented, no one ate or drank, including the animals. This unbelievable thing that would have been unthinkable by God's people, that this Gentile pagan nation would have come to revival. Times have changed. People have forgotten. And patterns of disobedience have come back. You see, it's about a century later where we find our reading today. Nahum is preaching at a time when Nineveh is not receptive to the truth of God. They're not listening. They are not seeing clearly who God is, and they have no desire to come to repentance and to avoid the coming disaster. And so as we pick up, we have this catalog of things attributed to God that for some people, they just completely ignore or disregard. How many times have you heard somebody say, man, I'm so glad that God is jealous. Did you know that he's an Avenger? And I'm not talking about the movies. Did you know that he is wrathful and that he will take out vengeance on his enemies and he will pour out wrath on them? No, you see, we want to relegate God just to this idea that he is only love and nothing else. But we must remember his love is perfect. So is his jealousy. So is his wrath. So is his vengefulness. And for us, it seems like an unreasonable juxtaposition, but it's not. You see, the Bible tells us that God is slow to anger. And I love the way that Nahum kind of pulls back from what Jonah said on multiple occasions, be it in the belly of the fish or be it outside the city. It's true. God is slow to anger and he is rich in mercy. The problem is we want to ignore the fact that he cannot clear the guilty. Sin comes with unimaginable consequences. It's one of those things that for us, if God doesn't act in wrath towards sin, he's not just. And if he is not just, he is not God. And so as Nahum begins to paint this picture to remind them who God is, all of these small gods that they have in their temple, these gods don't have the power. They are not the one true and living God. And so he begins to use these metaphors and this poetry to say that his way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Imagine this picture of God walking across the top of the clouds and they barely cling to the bottom of his feet. He talks about the fact that the sea will just become dry. The rivers will completely dry up. That things that are in bloom and hillsides will just wither beneath his wrath. The mountains quaking and hills melting and the earth heaving before him. The the language is just so powerful. And he arrives at the question for the Ninevites. How are you going to be able to stand against his indignation? Is there anyone that can endure the heat of his anger? When his wrath comes out like fire and rocks break into pieces, what are you going to do? But it's different. The Ninevites are content to stay in their sins. The Ninevites are perhaps too sophisticated, thinking, well, this 
idea of following this, you know, this one God who is supposedly exclusive and ignoring our other gods. We don't know exactly what's going on, but we know it's ongoing patterns of willful disobedience. And Nahum is promising that God is going to pour out his wrath. But even in the midst of that, there cannot be all wrath. And he reminds him that the Lord is good and he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he can even be a stronghold in the day of trouble if the trouble was of your own making. And I love the fact that it tells us that God knows those who take refuge in him. It's not just that he knows, as of course, he's omniscient, he knows all things, but there is an intimacy between those who come when they are broken and down and out and they seek refuge in him. But it switches back quickly and reminds people that he will make an end of his adversaries. He will pursue his enemies into darkness and all of those who think themselves wiser, those who think that they're going to plot against the Lord. Nineveh with all of her strength and all of her military might, the people with all of their gods and their false worship and their ongoing patterns of disobedience, they are going to find their just end. And so God just tells them, it doesn't matter what your strength is. You'll be cut down and you will pass away. He comforts his people and says, listen, I've used Assyria to afflict you. They have been my instrument of discipline, but that's not going to be the case anymore. He speaks of freedom and talking about the the yoke being broken off from his people so that their bonds are burst apart and no longer slaves to the people of Nineveh and the Assyrians, but freedom in God. And so he wants them to know that they're going to be free. But he wants Nineveh to understand that when his judgment comes, he tells them their name's not going to go on anymore. This is going to be an absolute end. He he speaks of the house of their gods and their pluralism, these carved metal images. He tells them that he's going to make their grave for they are vile. And then once again, there seems to be this shift As God's people receive this good news and this encouragement that upon the mountains, it's going to be great because it's going to be good news coming to publish peace. Paul would later uh, use this as uh, a, a comparison to those who preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he tells Judah to keep their feasts because it's difficult to keep feasts when you're in captivity and there may not have been the freedom. He tells them to fulfill their vows and he wants them to know that no longer will the Ninevites be going in and out and among and through them. They are going to be utterly cut off. And this time, the the sermon is the same. It may sound a little bit different, but at first it was you got 40 days uh, or Nineveh is done. And now it is, how do you think you're going to be able to stand the indignation and wrath of God? But the end was very, very different. And the overthrow of Nineveh was great and final. She was no more. Make no mistake, God cannot clear the guilty. God is absolutely holy and just and perfect and righteous. And he has to act resolutely toward sin. And he does that in wrath. And lest you think that it's impossible to have wrath and love in the same place, I would encourage you, look no further than the cross. For what does the wrath of God look like? It looks like a disfigured sun hanging on a tree. And it's in that same place. What does the love of God look like? 
a disfigured son hanging on a tree saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. No, God cannot clear the guilty, but God gives grace upon grace. So if you find yourself in an ongoing pattern of disobedience, repent and come to Jesus. He is a stronghold for those who take refuge in Him. Thanks for listening to the One More Verse podcast. If you need more information about Vertical Purpose or One More Verse, visit johnnicks.org. I'd love to catch up with you on social so you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just use the handle, TheJohnNicks. And don't forget to download the Vertical Purpose app for additional resources. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next week for one more verse.